Guys, I went to full confession mode right at the start here. I confess that I broke a rule of mine yesterday. I've got a rule that I like to keep, which is quite simple. If our family of five needs to get in the car and travel, for every hour we travel, we must spend a night there. So if we travel for two hours, minimum two nights stay, right? Nice five hours, it's a five nights. That's a simple rule. But yesterday I broke that rule. Thanks to Drew and Polly. We went off to the snow, to the winter wonderland. I want to I want to show you the family pick. I mean, it was incredible. Hey, just passed series. And can I tell you why I could break my rule? And I'm happy to amend it. On the way there, the kids are excited about snow and they behave. On the way back, they're exhausted by the snow and they behave. So this is the one reason why you can break the rule. But there actually is a serious lesson which we picked up. And um, so I just want to start my timer. I know you guys are worried about me. There we go. <laughs> um, Serious lesson, and it was quite simple. After this whole mission, and there was traffic involved. We're trying to forget about it, but there was traffic involved. And we made our way through series into the Matrosberg, and what happened quite early on was people had pulled off to the side of the road, and there were little clumps of snow. And they were so excited, and I thought, yo, it's a little underwhelming, but, you know, let's keep going. We're following Drew and Polly. They're the veterans. They've come here many times, and we followed them, followed them. By the time we finished, the snow was thick. The trees were groaning. And I just, along with Leanne, just thought, man, what happens to those people that pulled off early, that kind of just played with little clumps, like had, had little photos of these tiny, had spent hours in the traffic and had got too easily satisfied with a few little clumps. And why it's a serious lesson is I think the same thing can happen to us in our lives. We can gather at a time like this and we can leave with a few little clumps of God, a few little things that kind of, hey, I hope they work. A couple of tips, a couple of inspiring lyrics perhaps, but we don't come away going, oh my goodness, the abundance of God, the rich, rich inheritance I have in God, the, the story of God and who He is. So right now, will you join me in prayer for our time together this morning? God, this morning, we don't want to be those who get a few clumps that we hope will inspire us for the week ahead. No, God, we right now declare that we need you. We invite your Holy Spirit's work amongst us. None of us arrive here the, with it all together. We all arrive here as those who want to be part of your big story and want to once again hear from you about the meaning of life, about your love for us, about your saving work. Come, Holy Spirit, is our invitation. Amen. Amen. Uh, so today, guys, uh, you'll be pleased to know there's not going to be too many references to snow. I, I'm going to kick on with the story of the Exodus. And this chapter, the three of them we're covering, is actually the chapter which the title to the book comes from. It's the second book in your Bible if you start from the front. And the Exodus is actually what we're going to see as we read together today. And so if you are a guest here for the first time, I see uh, many of you. Well done for picking the title uh, Sunday to be with us. Last week, uh, Leanne kicked us off uh, uh, with the start of the Exodus, which is the Passover, the, the, the angel coming to the land of Egypt and Pharaoh saying, go, go. Uh, people, remember, had eaten the Passover meal with their cloaks tucked in. They were getting ready to walk with God, and now they will start to walk with God. And you'd imagine, right, that once they've, once they've been set free by Pharaoh, it's going to be upwards and to the right. You know, when you get those graphs that just slope you know, gloriously, beautifully up. You know, life is only going to be beautiful from now on. Well, it doesn't quite work out like that because actually there's now going to be a battle for ownership. Yes, they've been released from Egypt, but Egypt is going to come after them. And essentially it's going to be a battle. Who's going to win? Is it going to be Pharaoh, a tyrant, 
someone who wants to enslave them, someone who wants to use their life for his benefit? Will it be Yahweh? Will it be a redeemer God? I am who I am. Who wants to lay down his life for their benefit? It's a battle for ownership, and we're going to see by the end of today who wins. So the structure for today is first we're going to look at exodusing. I made it into a verb. Apologies to all the English teachers out there. Exodusing, and then we're going to see, which is essentially them leaving, centuries of oppression, layers of slavery, layers of, of kind of life that they'd been baked into. They're going to leave that, and then there's going to be two moments of fear. The first is they're going to fear Pharaoh when he comes after them, because Pharaoh suddenly he realizes, wait, I've just given up way too much. I, I want these people back. And then we're going to see how that fear for Pharaoh transforms into a fear of God. Okay, so let's dive into it. We're reading from Exodus chapter 12. It'll appear here on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you and you can read along with us. Chapter 12 from verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. They had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked for. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot beside women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So this is the moment. They are out of Egypt. Egypt, Egyptian leader Pharaoh had said, go, go, and they were chased out. I want to quickly just point out a couple of things. What did they take with them? If you think about it, what did they take with them? We, we picked up three things that they took with them. The first is they took a lot of money, right? They, you would have picked that up. Interesting detail. They've got jewelry, they've got clothes, they've got treasures, and many commentators have said this is quite a miraculous thing. Imagine an enslaved people, at best in history, most enslaved people have kind of been told you're free. It's about as good as it gets. Very few would then get repatriations would get, would get wealth on their way out, but this is not true of the people of God. They got given money. They've given favor. And I know what many of you then think is like, oh yes, blessed to be a blessing. Hashtag blessed. This is my ticket, right? You're telling me, Paul, that if I follow God, money will flow my way. And it's quite interesting because if you look at it in this case, yes, they are, they are given a lot. But when the New Testament rolls around, when Jesus inaugurates a new kingdom, he actually encounters a lot of people who have a lot already. And notice what he says to them. He says to them, no, 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 don't keep adding, give it away. You've been filled to, to bless the world. You've been blessed to be a blessing. And so it's not a quick fix. It's not one of those things where it's like, oh, I follow God, I get lots of money. No, sometimes you follow God and you give away a lot of money. It's, it's, it's not the point. The point is that there's a people of God who've been favored by God. The second thing, besides money, you notice, is there's a meal. Um, and you won't pick it up here. I'm skipping out some passages. But quite early on, he says, oh, by the way, please eat this meal of unleavened bread in remembrance of this day. And he gives them essentially feasts before he gives them the Ten Commandments, which is quite interesting. You think of God, you think, oh, God, laws, Old Testament laws. But actually what we see here is a God who sets them free first before they've done anything. And then he says, oh, have some feasts, please. Have some feasts because you're going to forget this. And if you've been tracking with it, it's quite amazing. Well, how could you forget 10 plagues? Okay, you could forget one plague, two plagues, 
10 plagues, Exodus out of Egypt. I mean, who needs to be reminded of this stuff? Yet God knows we do forget. We do need reminders because there's sometimes layers of life that get layered on and layered on. And in the complexity of all those layers, we lose our way as old patterns and old temptations come creeping back into our lives. And so God says, no, it's almost like I'm setting an alarm on your phone. Every year, the alarm goes off. Ah, feast. Ah, remember what God did. Freedom. That's what he wants for his people. He wants them to recognize favor, that, that the money represents, but also meals, which represent the freedom that they have in God. Final thing, besides money and meals, is a multitude. Did you guys pick up there that there's a mixed multitude living here? This isn't just a monolithic one people. No, it's everyone that took shelter under the blood of the Lamb was invited to join in this. Right from the early parts of the Old Testament, you had a mixed multitude following God and walking with Him. If you had to ask who's coming out of Egypt, well, it's anyone who took shelter under the blood of the Lamb and who walked through the Red Sea is coming out of Egypt, which is something that had been promised 400 years ago. So the Exodus is underway. We got money representing favor. We got a meal representing freedom. We've got a mixed multitude, which represents the family, a whole group of people coming out under the leadership of God. They've been drawn out of Pharaoh's clutches. They've been drawn into the presence of God, into a whole new way of living. And what does the church gather around today? What do we gather around? Well, we gather around God's presence, which represents his favor, the freedom we have in him as a family together. And we eat meals and we share our, our resources and we essentially are a mixed multitude which is looking to serve the suburb of Seapoint. There's so much richness here, and we've got to keep going. But I mean, you can see that's a whole sermon we could have had there, but you got the five-minute version. Hey? We're keeping going, and, and, and let's keep following the Exodus story. It's chapter 13 now from verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, this is very much the logistics now of what happens, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. So let's just pause there. Quite a funny scene. They're equipped for battle. They're like, okay, let's go. And God looks at them and says, yeah, I don't think, I don't think you're ready for battle. I'm not actually going to lead you in the shortcut route to the Philistines. I know your heart better than you know yourself. I'm actually going to take you to the wilderness. I'm going to take you the long way around so that you start this process of trusting me, being shaped by me, being molded by me. Let's keep reading. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. This is quite a classic scene. You've pretty much got mummified Joseph, hey, on the way out. Why is God doing this? Is this some kind of nostalgic thing? No, go read in Genesis 50. You'll see Joseph goes, hey, I made a way for my people to come in Egypt, but I know one day God's gonna get us into the promised land. I wanna be part of it. God, take me with you. And God says, sure thing. And look what happens. God does what he says he's gonna do. Joseph gets to experience the exodus. Like, woohoo! He's, he's on his way out of slavery. He's with the crew. And if you heard this, you would have gone, man, God remembers his promises. 400 years later, it's coming true. Imagine all that time. They're like, oh, who's this? No, that's Joseph, mummified, waiting to get taken out. Oh, don't think it's going to happen. Well, watch. And it does. From verse 20, they moved on from Sukkoth and camped at Ethan on the edge of the wilderness. 
And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. They're in a wilderness, which isn't your first surprise. But you know what? They get more than just an environmental um, challenge. They get the presence of God. A cloud and, and fire by night. What started out with a burning bush when Moses was in the wilderness has now become a, a huge column of fire and a cloud that during the day provided shade from the sun and the harsh wilderness conditions. What started out with one person in the wilderness has now become a nation of people in the wilderness. And the big reason why they can do this with a sense of hope and joy is because God's presence is with them. God's presence. It's like having a, a GPS system, right? The first GPS system, a God positioning system. Thank you, thank you. It's cheesy, but you'll remember. As, as they are drawn out of slavery, they're drawn in. How do you do this? I mean, how do you, how do you experience freedom? You don't experience freedom by just having nothing. You experience freedom by following God's leading, by seeing his hand in your life and by taking the next step with him. This is what's happening. But then something happens, which is interesting. God says, hey, can you, can you turn around? Make a U-turn. At that point, I'd start to get a little nervous. I'd be like, wasn't the cloud, why are we going back? Okay, I'll follow. And then, and then my nervousness would have been, did we... You know, is someone confused? Were we confused? Is God confused? Why are we turning around? This isn't a nice experience. And then what's happening is Pharaoh is changing his mind. Pharaoh's had a look at the circumstances and gone, wait a second, we've been plundered. We've had all our jewelry taken, our clothing, and now we're having to do our own work. Imagine Pharaoh having to make his own bed in the morning. He's like, sucks, man. <laughs> like, this is hard work, having to wash his own chariot. He's like, I miss, I miss the people of Israel. I want them back. And so they're making a U-turn in the wilderness and the people of Egypt are mounting chariots and heading towards them. And the Exodus, which was going so well, is now hitting a point of conflict and the battle for ownership is about to commence. Point two, fearing. Let's read. When Pharaoh, from verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. They feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They're trapped between the Egyptians and the Red Sea. Pharaoh's coming to take them back. The battle for ownership is about to kick off. They said to Moses from verse 11, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Now, this is some pretty classic um, bitter sarcasm, right? What would the Egyptians have done for 400 years? I mean, what is Egypt still renowned for? It's pyramids. And what are pyramids, basically? They are massive graves to pharaohs and impressive people. So you've got a people of God who've been building graves for years, and they turn around to Moses and go, are oh, there not enough graves in Egypt? Like, it's classic sarcasm. I can relate to these guys. You know, you're bringing us out here to die, like... There are plenty of graves. You could have just died where we were. Why are you taking us out here to die? There's a grumbling spirit. 
I kind of get it though. They've had to U-turn. They're now seeing the Egyptian army come in. There's a Red Sea. There's an army. There's no way of escape. And they turn on Moses. Keep reading. They say, is not this what you said What you said in, in Egypt? Sorry. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, you can go back in our story and look for them saying that, but it never happens. If you actually read it, what they say is, wow, that's incredible, and they start to worship God. They never, they never say, leave us alone. We would rather die here you know, than be out in the wilderness. No, it seems like there's a, there's, a, there's a dislocation with the truth. Let's call that an inaccuracy with the truth. They essentially are revealing that exodusing, leaving your old life, is not as easy as it seems. There are layers that get layered on over our course of our lives. And even when we see a crack of light and we start taking steps to it, our past is going to come charging at us, maybe harder than before. Old habits, old temptation, old patterns come charging back and they attack our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength, and they say, don't do it. Go back. Go back to where it is safer. And as we've said often in this series, they might be leaving Egypt, but Egypt hasn't left them. And slavery is still in their hearts and their minds. And essentially it's saying, you don't belong here. This isn't where you're supposed to be. Go back, go back. The root issue, which we see over and over again in scripture, is ultimately this. They don't believe that God is good and that God longs for them to be free. They believe a lie about God. It started in the garden with Adam and Eve and it continues through today in Seapoint. A lie that says, you can't trust God. You've got to take your life into your own hands. God is out to hurt you. Protect yourself. That root, it is unbelief. And it keeps coming, chapter 14, chapter 16, chapter 17, over and over again. A grumbling spirit will take over. And instead of gratitude towards what God has done, there will be grumbling in their hearts. So ultimately, they've tried to break free. They've put a good show. They've plundered. They've got money. They've got meals. They've got, they've got a mixed multitude. They're on the way. But now it looks like it's broken apart. And they are fearing Pharaoh far more than they're fearing God who has delivered them so far. Perhaps you sit here this morning and you're trying to break free from some things. You've, you've lived long enough to look back and go, man, that thing has hurt me. But yet, when I try to step into newness, I'm, 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 I'm clawed back to a life which maybe didn't work out the way I wanted, but is, is comfortable and comforting. How do you break through? How do you break through? And that's why we gather as a community. That's why we sing. That's why we're going to respond now because it's because we've, we've got a reason, we've, we've got hope, and we've got, we've got good news to share. What we're going to see now is they fear Pharaoh, but soon they're going to be fearing God, the maker of heavens and earth. Right now they're fearing Pharaoh because he's coming and the Red Sea is blocking them. And Moses is the one who gets approached. He's the mediator between God and them. And they essentially say to Moses, Moses, why have you done this to us? Now Moses has to respond. What does Moses respond with? A couple of theories. The one could be battle formation. Battle formation. I went to South African High School, and I know about Shaka Zulu's MP formation thing. Let's do that one. That one worked well. Perhaps he doesn't go that route. Maybe he goes, ah, I also read about the United Nations. Give peace a chance. Let's do this. Let's get our best negotiated. Let's go, let's go to peace. Or maybe he's... You know, imbibe a lot of cancel culture, he knows, I just resign. I step away, I say, you know, my season has come to an end. 
What does he do? Is it battle formation, peace negotiations, resignation? You know what he chooses to do? He brings a sermon. He brings a sermon, which I personally appreciate. I think it's a great strategy. I love, I love Moses' style. He brings a sermon. This is what sermon he brings from verse 13. Moses said to the people, fear not. Now picture the scene. You've got the Red Sea surging on the one side. You've got Egyptian army coming. He says, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is his message from God. This is God's word to the people. That's what a sermon is. It's saying God revealing his truth to his people. And he's essentially saying there's a battle for ownership taking place. Egypt is out to enslave you. Yahweh is here to free you. And that battle's going to take place, and you need to watch it. You need to step back. You need to recognize you're hopeless in light of this battle. Your job is to witness it. And so what happens from this point on is the cloud that previously was ahead of the people leading them moves to the back, representing God's presence now, covering them, protecting them. The Egyptians are struggling now to see exactly where these people are going, and it buys them some time. Moses then stepped forward, and he hears from God. He says, raise your staff. If you watch these movies, you would have seen the scene, Charles, Charles Heston or whatever. And, he, and, and suddenly the, the, ocean, the sea just parts, and it becomes a wall on the left and a wall on the right. And the people of God are told, walk, just walk across. And they do that, and they get across to the other side. Eventually, the Egyptians get clarity as the cloud moves with the people, and they go, oh, there they are. They surge forward, and Moses now, having held back the waters, releases those waters, and the Egyptians are caught in that, that, that judgment of God. The battle for ownership has taken place, and there is a clear winner. Yahweh has defeated the powers that had surged back, that had wanted to claim the people of God for their own, had wanted to get their grips back into them, and clearly they'd been defeated. The fear of Pharaoh is replaced with the fear of Yahweh. Who is this God? How does he do this? And the whole time, Although we were dressed for battle, remember they left going, bring it. Like God's like, no, no, you're not ready for it. I'm taking you through the wilderness and I'm setting it up perfectly so that a battle is won without you having to do a thing. Moses as my mediator has done it all. The fear of Pharaoh is replaced with a fear of Yahweh. This is our last verse for our time here this morning from verse 30 of chapter 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. There it is. He feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This ownership battle has been won. The Egyptians are lying there defeated. And they're walking with God. God has... God has delivered them. And at this point, you've got you've to see that, that this deliverance was all of grace, was all of God's doing, not their own. And the people have now shifted their allegiance from Pharaoh and from their past patterns to Yahweh and their, and their conquering king. And I hope you can see, I mean, this is probably one of the most quoted passages. Matthew picks up on it. Luke picks up on it. You can see in 1 Corinthians 10, it comes... They quote Hosea 11 over and over again. Hebrews 
chapter 3 and chapter 11. It's, it's all over. This is one of the most quoted uh, passages of the Old Testament in the New Testament because they want us to see that this wasn't just a story about them then, but it's a story about us now. And I hope you see that at that Red Sea part, essentially there's a new birth taking place. There's a new nation that is being created. But it's not just them. It's also pointing back to Genesis when you had in creation waters covering the earth and God says, let there be land, let there be an expanse. And ultimately he separates land and water and says, this is a new thing that I'm doing. There's a new creation. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's separating land and water and he's saying, there's a new thing I'm doing. There's a new creation. And we've seen in 13 chapters, Yahweh caring for his people in distress. We're now going to see Yahweh present with his people on pilgrimage, leading them through life. And isn't that exactly what it means to experience new birth in Jesus, to be given a, a new identity and then to, to walk with him in pilgrimage in this world, making all things new. All those layers that have claimed ownership of our lives, all the thoughts, all the patterns that keep wanting to trawl us back, they've been defeated. They've been conquered. The obvious question, I hope, is like, how? I, I hope you look and go, the Egyptians are dead on the seashore. They're free, but how? How did that happen? That's good news for them, not good news for the Egyptians. What is going on here? And it's, you've got to look at the, the mediator. You've got to look at Moses. You've got to look at the one that had that burning bush experience 40 years ago. You see, when you look closely at Moses, you suddenly notice he represented the people. He was the one they grumbled to, and he was the one that then represented them before God. He's, he's the perfect representative of that nation. But at the exact same time, he was able to, to minister the power of God. He was able to raise up his hand and essentially separate waters and, and lead them into new life and new birth, crossing over by grace. What do you see when you look at Jesus Christ? You see someone who's our mediator, who's able to represent us perfectly as the people made in the image of God. But at the exact same time, he's the one who's able to minister God's power and God's, God's absolute um, life conquering victory over death. He's able to then see that come about so that we can cross over by grace. Moses was both royalty raised in the house of Pharaoh and an Israelite. Jesus, uh, heavenly royalty raised in, for eternity and yet choosing to be like us and to come down to this earth. See, Moses himself got to pass through the waters, but Jesus didn't. Jesus has, had the waters cover him up as he experienced death fully, but rose again in resurrection glory. And that is why when we're going through life and we have to do U-turns, and we have to go through U-turns, and we're going, how is this making sense? I literally just walked past here. How is this making sense? And when we have to go through wildernesses, and when we have enemies attack us from our past, when things sneak up on us that we thought had forgotten, but then we realize are still very much in our hearts, we can, we can stop and we can say, yes, all these things have happened and are happening, but they've been defeated. Not because of what Moses did, but because of Jesus did. My mediator, who right now has victory for me. And, and, I, and my heart can start speaking to myself. Instead of listening to myself exclusively, I can start speaking to myself and I can start saying things like, Stop playing with little clumps of snow. Stop like trying to piece it together. Just, just stop and go, Jesus has done it all. He is my mediator. It's because of him that I can stand before Christ. I mean, before God, before, before my creator, and I can say, I'm, I'm, I'm needing you. 
I'm going through, I'm going through some stuff right now, but I need you, and I, I, I'm asking for you to come by your spirit. I want to stop playing with little tips and hints and life hacks. I want to, I want to experience you, God. I want to experience you. Do you know what's encouraging is that I'm sure, I'm sure that as they walked through that Red Sea, you've got walls of water on either side. I'm sure there were some people going, oh yeah, I'm going to the promised land. Come, come. They probably had like, what would Jesus do? Bracelets on. They were like, come on, got my Bible cover. I'm sorted. Let's go by faith. Woo. They would have been going. And there would have been others going, I can't swim. I can't swim. I can't swim. <laughs> they would have been like every step going, good heavens. I'm highly anxious about this. And yet, everyone who crossed over was saved. It wasn't the strength of their faith that got them to the other side. It was the object of their faith. It was who they were looking to. It was who they were trusting. And so if you came here today and you're like, I don't even know how this works, but I just find myself drawn to who God is. Can I tell you that you don't have to just be drawn to spirituality or to God in a general sense. You can, you can look to Jesus and you can look to your mediator and you can see what God's like and you can place even the most tentative of, of declarations of faith in him. Because the major difference between every faith and what Jesus Christ presents is that every faith says to you, build a bridge, build a bridge, build a bridge. That's how you get to God. That's how you get over a river. That's how you get over a Red Sea. It's only Jesus Christ says, no, no, you can't build a bridge. I have to make a way for you. And it's in me that you cross over. It's in me that you find freedom. It's in me that life to the full is found. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. What Moses said to them then is what I'm saying to you today and it's what Jesus Christ has secured for us. Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. And so you might be comforted by things when you gather as life groups and we're all in each other's lives. You might be comforted by things that say, hey, you know, it could have been worse, like a typical South African thing. You still got your ID, you know, and he's took everything else, but you know, at least you don't have to go to home affairs. <laughs> Or you might be told, hey, keep praising. You know, keep praising. It doesn't matter. You might be having U-turns in wilderness. And, but keep praising. Keep praising. You're going, uh, we're not into the fake it till you make it stuff. We're into Jesus. We're into looking at him and saying he is the only reason we can with hope seek God in this time of chaos and confusion. Do you see God? Do you see Jesus? It's an ownership question. Who owns your life? Who, who do you want leading your life? Do you want an enslaving tyrant, despot, who's going to enslave you and ask you to give up your life for his glory? Or do you want the God who made you, who's redeemed you, who's good, who's gracious, who's trustworthy to lead your life? Let's walk with Jesus together as a community. Let's do this thing together and let's look to him. So I'm going to call the band up now and I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to have a time of response together. And I really am excited about this time because, as I said right at the start, um, we're not going to be just collect, collecting up little clumps of snow <laughs> together. We want to be experiencing God together. And there's people here who might have had a verse that they've been thinking about this whole week or a song or a scripture or an encouragement. And there's an opportunity for us now to worship God together and for you to bring that contribution. Greg will be leading us as, um, as someone who would help navigate everyone's words and everything. But the whole idea here is to say, God, we need you. And we want to worship you. And we can respond to him together. So let's take a moment now just to, uh, to reflect. And let's take a moment now to invite God to continue to work 
as we respond in worship. God, as we come before you now, some of us are confident in our relationship with you. We've seen your hand freshly at work. We walk through um, the Red Sea, as it were, with our heads held high, with a song on our lips. As we'll see next week, uh, the people of God raised a praise song. They worshiped you. They responded to you. God, some of us are in that place already, and we're we're gonna just have a moment of deep gratitude for who you are, for your redeeming work, for the for the little crack of life that has grown and grown and is now a a noonday sun where we get to go, man, I'm not just in our world, I'm in your world. I have a great redeemer who set me free. But others of us are walking through much more nervously, much more anxiously saying, I don't know how this works. I've tried, but my old habits have come charging back. I've tried, but it always seems like Egypt gets back into me. God, wherever we find ourselves, We've got an opportunity now to invite your Holy Spirit, to invite your work with us. You're the God on pilgrimage with us. So we simply pray, come Holy Spirit, as we respond in worship now. Let's worship.